You're listening to the Ignite Sessions podcast, hosted by Virginia Tech Chi Alpha. Our hope for this podcast is to encourage listeners to pursue God's kingdom and His righteousness. We hope you're blessed by today's episode. Well, good morning. Welcome back. Come on. The Lord is thick in this place. You may be seated. I want to get Glenn up here quickly so we can dive into the Word. Amen. I know that you guys have been blessed already. And uh, as I said last night, make sure you pull out that pen and paper. You want to take some notes so you can look back over the years. Okay, so how is the diving going? There's way more people in here than last night, so maybe you didn't hear about the deep dive, but we're doing a deep dive this weekend, and that means we're going, we're going for it. We're going for it. Whatever God has for us, that's what we're doing. How many of us know when we do it, when we're with the Lord, you know, He requires some things. He does have requirements. And as you read through the Old Testament in particular, but even in the New Testament, he talks about requirements. We, God has requirements. You can't just come before a holy God without being clean somehow. Yeah. And thankfully, Jesus died on the cross, and we know the story, died on the cross, rose again. And if we believe that, if we confess that with our mouths, then his righteousness covers us and gives us the clean that we need to come before him. That's a beautiful picture, and I'm talking to myself when I say this, and then we screw that all up. We dabble in sin here, and we dabble in that there, and we don't want to say yes here, and we don't want to say yes there, or maybe we don't want to say no over there. So how many of us in here know when, you're, when, you, when you are doing a deep dive, sometimes God brings things up in us that we don't like? Why does he do that? Why doesn't he just leave us alone and let us feel good about ourselves and just believe that he did everything that he did? He doesn't do that. We were praying this morning, and the picture that came to my mind is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, fire running through, rampant through this room this morning. And the fire of the Holy Spirit is not something to be afraid of, but it's something to desire because it burns out all that stuff. And we need that in order to, to dive deep and to know him even more than when we know him right now. There's some of you in here, and let me just pull out the leadership first. If you're in leadership and you have sin in your life, you need to take care of that today because God wants to transform that. And how many of us know when you go into a pitch black room, you can't see any of the furniture, you can't see anything? Can you you imagine that? You can't see anything. But as, as you bring in a light, the furniture can't say what you're doing, the furniture can't say I'm still hiding, the walls can't say I'm still hiding. Nothing in that room can say I'm still hiding, right? Because the light has come in. Unless we bring our sin into the light, God can't do anything with that. He wants us to bring it in the light. So how do we bring it into the light? Do we just pray before God all the time and say, God, you know my sin, please relieve me of this sin? Well, yeah, you can do that, but you're not going to get very far with it, maybe. 
what God requires is that we bring it into the light. And we bring it into the light, that means we tell someone about it. We confess those sins. So while we can only confess our sins to the Father, and he can only, he's the only one that can forgive us, how we bring our sin out and in the open to deal with it is to tell someone about it. So how many here, how many here want to live only by the flesh and not the spirit? Anybody? Great. If you raise your hand, I'm going to come smack you. No. <laughs> so I want you to turn to your neighbor, one of your neighbors, and say, I don't want to live by the flesh. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I want to be transformed. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I'm willing to do anything to be transformed. And now I hope there's not too many liars in the crowd this morning. As we do this, today's a big day. Today's a big day. It's the full day of meetings and talking and whatnot. Let's continue on the deep dive and let's bring out the sin. Leadership, if you are in leadership and you have sin in your life, you need to confess that to another leader on the team. If you are not in leadership, you still have the same requirements. Those things that are <clears throat> deeply hidden, that you're embarrassed about, that will cost you your reputation. They need to come out to the light. Bring them out to the light. It's not easy, I know it's not easy. Bring them out to the light and let God transform what he wants to transform in you today. Amen. Um, our car was filthy. We'd been driving through all these different states and it had rained and all of this. We went to a car wash. And man, it looked really nice coming out of that car wash. What Karen is talking about is this weekend, God wants to take you through a spiritual car wash. Just wash all those things away by the blood of Jesus. And this is a chance. And this morning is another chance for you and me, not you, you and me, to be washed by the blood of Jesus. And I want to leave this place knowing that God looks on me and smiles at every area of my life. Every decision I'm making, every feeling I have, every relationship I'm involved in, every plan that's in my heart, that's what I want. And I want that for you. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to shift gears a little bit, and I'm going to do more of a teaching this morning. But I, I want us to consider why it is that when God wants to change the world, He will start with an individual. He won't start with a mass movement. When God wanted to raise up a people for Himself, He started with Abraham, whom we looked at last night. When God wanted to bring revival back to a wayward nation, He started with a prophet boy named Samuel. When God wanted to establish a dynasty out of which the Messiah would eventually come, He started with a shepherd boy named David. When God wanted to bring the people in exile back to an understanding of who he was, he started with Jeremiah. And when he wanted to say the kingdom is here, get ready for the Messiah, he started with John the Baptist. He started with individuals. So what is he starting with us this weekend? There's an electricity in the room today, and I tell you what it is. 
It's the smell of surrendered lives. A lot of you last night came up here and surrendered things. And now it's up to us to walk more fully in it. I've already had several students come up last night and this morning with questions. Okay, I said yes. I have no idea what I said yes to. Have you ever said yes to something and a little ways into it, you're like, oh my goodness, I never knew what I was getting into. Welcome to the life of a disciple. One moment, Peter's sitting in the boat. Next moment, he's walking on water. Next moment, he's drowning. Next moment, he's part of a great miracle, Jesus saving him. This is what God is inviting you to. And some of you are saying, how do I translate where I am now to where I think God's calling me to? The call is not a moment. It's a journey. It's something that emerges in us. And suddenly the clarity that God gives us makes all these other things just lose their impact, their pull on us. They're just, they don't have their distraction, that distractive power to them anymore because we are locked in on the rescue plan of the universe. And we know God has personally chosen us. Now this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Exodus chapter 4. And I want to talk about the moment. What is the moment when God suddenly changes a life that He can use for great things? And I'm going to read just, these are a few verses in a conversation, one of the most intense conversations in Scripture. It happens for two chapters. And I'm only going to read a few verses beginning in chapter 4, verse 10. Moses at this point is 80 years old. You thought I was old. He's 80, okay? And he's learning a lesson that the strength of the call of God does not rest on the disciple but on the God who called the disciple. The God who's unchanging. The God who doesn't forget a yes, like you said last night. The God that when you start to go down a pathway that's a deviation from what he has for you, he says, I remember a yes you gave to me. I'm here to collect. I'm here to bless. I'm here to renew. I'm here to transform. And so Moses is learning that even if you go hide, in the back of the desert for 40 years, God still knows your address. He still finds you. Verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. For every excuse you've given, God is saying, I'm not calling you because you're able. I'm calling you because I'm able, and I will make you overcome. But he said to him, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will, Look at what it says at the beginning of verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. I don't want to get to that point. And I don't want that for you. But I want you to understand the God that we serve is passionate and determined. If he will watch his own son die on the cross 
so that you and I can raise our hands to the king of the universe this morning. That shows you how far he will go. He'll go that far for your campus. He'll go that far for your family. He'll go that far for the nations on planet earth. Heavenly Father, I want you to take the moment right now and do what my words could never do. I want you to touch a heart and transform a life. There's something very special happening this weekend, God, and, and we just don't want to get in the way of what you're doing. And so take the next few moments and reach inside of each of us and whisper the truth that will lead to lives being transformed and nations changed. For the glory of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The great evangelist D.L. Moody once said, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man or woman who is totally consecrated to Him. Now, this is pretty staggering when historians tell us that D.L. Moody led over one million people to Jesus during his ministry. How would you like to be a part of the Million Club? A million lives going to heaven because you said a yes to God and went and preached the good news. He started a church well over a hundred years ago that is still thriving today. He started in a Bible Institute, Moody Institute, that is still going on today. He started a printing press. He started a radio ministry. He started a mission-sending organization. He went to several nations of the world. And wherever he went, lives were changed. Even lives like C.T. Studd, that, whom I talked about last night, was impacted by D.L. Moody. I'm trying to point out the domino effect that God can make happen when you and I stand by the yes we gave Him last night. The world has yet to see what will come out of Virginia Tech, Rafford, and Marshall. The world has yet to see the nations that are going to be impacted by the people sitting in here today. And we may never read about it in a newspaper, but we'll get to heaven one day and it'll be on the billboard saying, oh, nations were changed. But between here and that moment, when you land in that spot that you know God has for you, things have to change. Now, the interesting thing is, our friend took us to one of the proposed sites of Mount Sinai. And because I love the story in 1 Kings 19 about Elijah in the cave, which was on Mount Sinai, it is the site. I'm just going to say it right now. I've been there. I've taken pictures with it. I've been there. I've sat in Elijah's cave. And on the top of that mountain, there's a tree still. And I thought, that tree one day burned. And then God spoke out of that tree. Now, you don't climb that mountain easily. It's not like a walk down one of these paths. You have to grapple up parts of it. We almost had one of our leaders fall off, and that would have been tragic. Moses saw something, but Moses had to really want to encounter God, had to really want to see that thing up close, because you're looking up at that thing, and you've got you to gotta make your way up a somewhat arduous path. I just climbed Kilimanjaro last year with Karen. Now, that about sent us to heaven, I'll tell you that right now. But that was a hike. This we were having to grapple, as I said, to get to the top of that mountain. But there was something in Moses that was not complete. I believe that's why he went up there. 
And the story of Moses is so fascinating that even Disney made a movie about it. I haven't seen the whole movie. I don't know how accurate it is. But here is the baby Moses, born in a period of a death culture. He was the oldest son of slaves with a death sentence over his head because Pharaoh had said, kill the firstborn. And Moses' parents did not agree. And they put him in a basket. If you've been in Sunday school, you've heard this story. And that little baby with a death sentence over his head, floating on the side of the Nile in the marshes, suddenly a princess of Pharaoh walks by, sees that baby, is immediately attached to that baby. And in one second, a slave child with a death sentence over his head became a prince in the most powerful palace of his day and time. That's what God can do in a moment. The Bible tells us, if you read Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, that there were, Moses lived 120 years, the first 40 years. He grew in great power in words and deeds. He had the best education in the world. He was a man of great achievement. And at the age of 40, God started tapping on his heart and said, it's not about your degrees, it's not about your achievements, it's about my rescue plan. And Moses goes out and he sees the plight of his Hebrew family and he sees an Egyptian beating one of them and the injustice causes him to go into rage and in an impulsive decision, Moses walks over and kills the Egyptian. The Bible is not hiding the details of our lives. In that moment, the prince of Egypt became a fugitive with a death sentence over his head. He's gone all the way back to when he was a baby. He is living outside the stream of what looks like God's great impact on the world. He's just trying to survive. He runs off in the desert. He spends 40 years in the desert. He marries. He has children. He raises sheep. He's out there thinking about what could have been, what should have been, and he's He's living and sitting in this when suddenly God, as if he took a 40-year vacation, which he did not. He's not taking a vacation on you and me right now. But there was something that he had to see in Moses. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. There was something that had to change in Moses. And what I want you to understand is this. Sometimes the pathway through redemption is through failure. There are things in our lives this morning that we don't want anyone to know about. We're not going to talk about it on any social media, and we're not going to get up here with a microphone and start just laying it out. And yet God is saying, I want to move in that, and I want to change that. I want to do something with that. What happened to Moses? He goes up the mountain a broken man. He comes down the mountain a prophet. One time up that mountain, I'd like to tell you that happened to me. I just came down dirty and tired. But he goes up the mountain, a man who believes he's failed in life. He comes down the mountain, and if you were to go and ask a religious person in Jerusalem today, I was there in 2019, and you were to say to them, what is the most significant moment in the history of your people? They would say, without doubt, Exodus. 
And if you were to ask them, who is the most important prophet? They would say without hesitation, Moses. He is the prophet. That's why when Jesus was having trouble with the religious leaders, they said, we're of Moses. They were trying to say, we're of the authority of the great prophet. And this great prophet, standing in chapter 4, is saying to the God of the universe, thank you for choosing me, but go with plan B. There's too much water under my bridge. There's too much that's happened in my life. Something is no longer on track with the will of God for my life. And God is saying to him, I'm the one that gives life. I'm the one that gives destiny. I'm the one that gives a purpose. I'm the one that gives a future. You did not choose me. I chose you. I love you. And I still have a plan to use you. So it is this morning. I want you to think about two things God stripped from Moses. See, one of the things we learn about Moses is this. The will of God has two components. There's direction from God, and there's timing with God. Now, a lot of us, if we get that direction, I'm called to go to this place, we can be totally impatient and work ourselves into a detour with God. Oh, I want to go right now. I had a student at Indiana University saying, I'm in my last semester. I have one more semester to complete my degree. I want to stop my studies right now and go. And I said, you can't do that. Missions isn't built on the back of quitters. It's built on the back of finishers. Because you're going to go over there and bump into something. You're going to be, hey, I think I'm called to another country now. We can't run from opportunity to opportunity. We have to be steady. You put your hand on the plow. You don't look back. Jesus said, those are the ones fit for the kingdom. God is building in you right now something that is indispensable for the future He has planned for you. So don't rush it. Don't get in a panic. I don't have my 10-year plan, my 20-year plan. You serve the God of eternity. He has an eternal plan. That's enough for you and me. And Moses here believes that he has wrecked his plan. Just like some of you sitting here today. I would like to do something, but I don't think I'm the best candidate in the room. That's not what God looks for. God doesn't need a hero. Let's get that straight right now. He doesn't need a hero. He needs a faithful servant. Because at the end of the day, the Bible is not about men who are heroes, women who are heroes. It's about God who is the hero. The first thing that Moses had to take, or God had to take from Moses before using him was this. God must first remove his self-confidence. Self-confidence. You know, sometimes we are being educated and trained and molded to, to present a bold presentation of ourselves. But in the kingdom of God, it's not about how bold you are in yourself. It's about how much you trust the God who will not fail you. I want to give an illustration of this. Years ago, Karen and I lived on the border of an Islamic republic. And it was our privilege to have a leader of an underground church there come and stay with us. Sometimes he'd come stay three or four days. And in that country, it was illegal for a citizen of that country to own a Bible. If they caught you with a Bible, you went immediately to prison or worse. In fact, in this man's case, 
two times his father tried to have him killed because of his faith in Jesus. One time a car was going 70 miles an hour. They opened the door. They kicked him out. He went careening down the side of the road. And then when he recovered, God said, go back to your family and say you still love them. And this brother would come to our home and he said, they told me to come here and ask you theological questions. I said, okay, what's your first one? Explain the Trinity to me. I'm like, oh, come on. Couldn't you, let's start a little bit more basic, like explain me how Jesus loves me or something. But no, Trinity. And we would talk and talk and talk. And then every time he visited, it would end with this moment that I loved so much. He'd go into this room where we had stored a bunch of Arabic literature, and he would pack these two duffel bags full of Bibles and books, and I would drive him to a remote location where he could cross the border in the middle of the night and, and take those Bibles and books about Jesus into his country. And every time I drove that vehicle, I thought, man, am I doing missionary work. I couldn't write about it in the newsletter because I didn't want to expose him, but I really thought I deserved a badge. I was driving the car, and here's the guy taking the gospel into his country. One day they asked me to fly to that country. And they asked if I'd go there and just pray. And my friend heard I was coming, so he called me. And he said, hey, Glenn, I hear you're coming Can you bring some of those things for me? He couldn't say the word. He knew they were listening in. And I knew what he meant by those things. He said, you understand if you get stopped with those things, you know what it means? Yeah, it means I have a new ministry. It's called prison ministry. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I have rejoiced multiple times taking him to the border so that he could be God's instrument to take the gospel into his country. And now he's asking me if I'm willing to go do it and I'm sitting on the other end like a little boy. Not me, not me, someone else. Lord, I'm like Moses. I know you sent me so that all of these people could know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And yet in that moment, everything inside of me was screaming, no. But I knew better than to say that to him. And whether it was ego or the moving of the Spirit, to this day I can't tell you. But I said, yes. And the moment I said yes, I thought, why did I say yes? So I got these 12 big Arabic study Bibles. And we wrapped them up and I was going to, I had this story. They're, They're Christmas gifts for a friend of mine here. And I thought if they open those things up, Surprise, surprise, surprise. Karen, can you deliver food to prison cell? Blah, blah, blah. That's where I'm residing right now. This is serious because the father of our daughter Danielle's friend in boarding school was martyred in that country. This wasn't an empty threat. So I go to the airport. I get on the plane, and there's an older lady who's flown from another country and she's joining me to go up for this prayer meeting and she's a woman of great prayer. She was a prayer warrior. But I thought it was ethical for me to tell her what was going on. And I said, Barb, I have to tell you, I have 12 of those things in my luggage right now. She looked at me and said, we're not supposed to have those. We can be arrested for those. I said, I know, but I thought you should know. 
since you're with me. And I looked out of the corner of my eye, and her lips were just a moon. She's speaking in tongues. She was praying. And that's what I wanted her to do, okay? We needed help, okay? <laughs> I'm not above manipulation if it serves the purpose in the moment. <laughs> I'm sharing this story because I want you to understand many a time I've stood in a context in a Muslim home, at a mosque, at a, at a refugee camp where all the members in the camp had, were missing a leg or an arm. I've stood in calamity. I've stood in heartbreak. I've stood and internally I felt I had zero to offer those people. Self-confidence is not the requirement to be a worker among the nations. Obedience is. It's not what you need to impact the marketplace. Your competency may get you a job, but your faithfulness to Jesus will give you a ministry. And this is what God is saying to Moses. 40 years ago when you thought I'm in the perfect place. I'm a prince of Egypt. I have vigor. I have reputation. I have all of this power behind me. I can change society. I can liberate my people. And you went out with your own plan. And look what it got you. It got you a 40 year detour in the wilderness. You cannot figure out what God's going to do with your life. He's asking you to surrender that to him. Hand the keys of the car over to him and move over and let the God of the universe take the steering wheel. That's what he's saying to you this weekend. Now, at first that looks scary until you realize he's the God who never fails. He's the God who rules and reigns. He's the God over the nations. We just sang this. If he's over the nations, guess what? You and I are a part of one nation. That means he's over us. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. Some here this morning haven't even come with self-confidence. You're like, okay, I'm already a good candidate. I don't have any confidence in myself. (laughs) There's good news for you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. These are what the apostles said. But if you're here this morning and you think that what you need to polish up on before you could ever go and do ministry in Chi Alpha, in the marketplace, in a school system, on a, in a village in Africa, or somewhere in Asia, if you think you've got to polish up your resume, the only resume that makes you and me qualified is that we have been redeemed by Jesus, chosen by Him, called His son or His daughter, and told to go out and proclaim His good news. That is our resume. And so sometimes he has to strip us of self-confidence. The second thing, and one that really has touched me more on this trip than any other trip we've made back to Chi Alpha here in the States, is this. God must not only strip us of our self-confidence, second thing, he must heal us of our self-condemnation. There are so many of us sitting in here today who beat ourselves up or we let the words that have been spoken over us beat us up and God is standing in heaven saying, you're my child. You're not what your friends say you are. You're not even what your parents say you are. You are who I say you are. 
I am the one who has chosen you. I paid the ultimate price for you because I have a plan for you. But God, I'm not like my life group leader. So what? I'm not able to do and pray like Anthony or Michelle and people all of a sudden here. So what? Moses could have said, I'm no longer in a palace. How could you want to use me? So what? You've walked in the very desert for 40 years where you're going to lead 2 million people through. You know every watering hole. You know every ethnic group. You know how to take care of sheep in a desert. God had a plan even in the 40 years. And if you're here this morning and you're saying the dark moments of my life have clouded my hopes of God using me, I'm here to tell you with love, I look back on that and say, so what? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The great writer Henry Nguyen once said, the greatest trap in our lives is not success, popularity, or power. The greatest trap is self-rejection. Why would you give an excuse to the God who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think? But I'm afraid to go to that place. God didn't tell Moses to go. He told Moses, go and I'm going to be with you. I don't know what to say. I will be your mouth. I don't know what to do. I will be your director. This is what God is asking you and me to believe in today. And I believe there's a deliverance God wants for a lot of us. And today and tonight, again, we're going to focus on this. A deliverance from anxiety. A deliverance from those things that hold us back. We, we, we look at it and we say, this is so awesome. I'll go if someone else goes. And God says, why don't you just go because I'm going with you? Why don't you go because I selected you? Why don't you go because the interviewer of heaven said, you're the worthy candidate for the job? And so we're going to go to a time of prayer now. Because it is imperative that you not sit on a yes and not walk it out with Jesus. Sitting right now in our home is a young man that we call him Nick. Three years ago, Nick had a Chi Alpha team come and the leader of that team laid out the gospel to him and it made him angry. He was angry because he is a very devout Muslim. And he goes home. He's something still stirring in him. He begins to read his Bible. He talks to his wife. And his wife said, well, if God's saying something there, listen to it. And one thing after another. And suddenly, in his own words that he told Karen and me sometime back, he said, it wasn't my desire to get out of Islam that brought me to Jesus. It was the fact that I met the truth. And how could I say no? You see, it's not about what you're getting away from that brings you to an altar. It's the one whom you're coming to that brings you to an altar. And so he gives his life to Jesus. And in a matter of weeks, he loses his wife. They come and take her away. 
She's pregnant. She loses the child under circumstances we're not sure about. He loses his job. He was the director of a very well-known English center where he lived. He loses his family. He loses his home. He's essentially destitute. He's like Abram. He's left father, nation, people, and yet he's still living in the neighborhood. He's all alone. And the first time that Karen and I really got to spend a lot of time, they brought him to our home because he just found out his wife died under mysterious circumstances. And I'll never forget him crumbling in our living room. And internally, I was like, God, give me a word. I don't know what to say right now. I'm telling you, self-confidence is not the fuel of ministry. Every person you read about in a book, if you walked beside them in real life, you'd realize they're great men and women of God with clay feet. They have their own weaknesses. We have our own shortcomings. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, God, what can we say? And, and, and eventually God gave a few of us a few words to say to him. But you know what? There's a pain so deep that words don't overturn it in a moment. This man sobbing over the loss of everything because of a yes to Jesus is crouched down in our living room floor and then after a few moments the atmosphere changed and he began to say words that he said to us time after time he began to say Jesus is worthy he began to thank his father now you see, you can read this stuff and be inspired by it, but when you have to walk through it, it's a different story. But here was a man who literally lost everything he treasured for a yes to Jesus. And yet he could still bow his knee and say, I thank you, God. I thank you it cost me this because I gained you in the process. I tell you there's no place for the devil in a life like that there's no demon that can discourage a man like that there's nothing in life that can overcome a heart that on fire for Jesus and that's what Jesus wants to do for you today he wants to liberate you from these things he wants to tell you that he's worth it all he wants you to know that if you walk with him you will walk as David said through the valley of the shadow of death but he will be the one leading you through that process He wants to strip us of our confidence. He wants to strip us of our self-condemnation. And he wants to tell us, you are going to become the person who I said you would become. You are going to go out to that place. You're going to leave a mark on that family. You're going to leave a mark on that community, that nation. Because this is the God of the universe who has a rescue plan. And it doesn't end in one moment because here we've walked with Nick for a couple of years now and just this week he sends us messages saying leadership is so tough. One of his brothers was just taken. He's been taken 13 times. They've tried to kill him at least five times on this. This is a man walking through the New Testament. And he said, I, if... If I had a choice, I wouldn't be a leader, but I know God has me here. I want you to understand that is what you're being invited to. I don't want to in any way mislead someone here. 
You cannot touch the brokenness of the world and it not touch you back. You cannot step into racial injustice and it not somehow boomerang on you. You cannot say you're going to go to a Muslim or a Hindu country or an atheist country and you not some point be touched in some way broken inside. This is what it means. But if you go with no confidence in yourself and no condemnation because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are redeemed. You have the one message that can change the world. You know the one person that can step in any situation and turn it around in a moment. You can walk up a mountain broken and come down a prophet. That's what God can do for you right now. Give him the moment and let him change the lifetime. I want a response and I want it to be specific. If you're here right now and you're grappling with what is it God wants me to do and you'll be honest enough like Karen said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it beautifully, confession is discipleship. So I'm going to confess. I make excuses. I give God excuses when God gives me the gift of a calling. If you're even battling right now, well, but, but God, if I, if I give, if I go, you're trying to negotiate with God. I want you to know this is your weekend. This is your Mount Sinai. This is your moment. This is where all of a sudden you go up there confused. You come down there with clarity. This is your moment. If you're here right now and you have the integrity of heart to stand in front of your peers, we're all looking again. And say, you know what? I'm trying to negotiate with God. But I realize God is a king. Who demands absolute obedience. And I'm going to just try my best to let go of the excuses. Whatever those are. I have family that expects something of me. I have dreams that I've held on to. I have hidden brokenness and sin that I'm afraid would disqualify me. Whatever excuse you offer to God, if you'll be honest and say, I've been offering excuses, but I've watched Moses here. And then when Moses kept making excuse, 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 finally God said, I've had enough of this. I have chosen you. I've created you for this moment. One day, thousands of years later, everyone's going to say, that's our prophet. That's the man of God who delivered a nation under the power of God. You can't see it right now, what God wants to do with your life. But I'm telling you, God already sees the beginning from the end. So if you're ready to lay the excuses on the altar, last night you laid your life on the altar. This morning you're laying your excuses on the altar. I want you just to come right here like last night just as you are I'm not going to give God an excuse I'm not going to qualify the calling who here wants to come don't wait come if that's you Jesus is so worthy of a life without excuses God that we serve is a God of truth. And 
when a lie creeps inside of your mind, a lie that maybe even a well-meaning person put there, you really can't do that. You can do all things through Christ. You can do whatever God calls you to do. Faithful is he who calls. He will bring it to pass. This is the word of God for you today. There's an awakening happening right now. Look around you. When lives surrender, like look around you right now. Don't look at the floor. Look around. These are people saying, I'm going back to a campus with no excuses. I'm not going to be the one to limit what God wants to do through me. Amy Carmichael once said, we serve the undefeated Lord. You serve a king that has never failed. He doesn't lose a battle. He's not going to let you down. He's not going to disappoint you. He's not going to take you on a dead-end street. You are going to stand one day in heaven, and you're going to be there with those angels singing, glory to God, holy, holy, holy. You are going to lay a crown full of the jewels of victory because of a yes and a willingness to lay aside your confidence, to lay aside your self-condemnation, and to say, Jesus, if you want this, have at it. That's all I'm asking you to do right now. So as the worship team sings for a few moments, I'm going to ask if the workers here and the staff that's not down here if you're down here praying stay where you are the Holy Spirit's dealing with you in a powerful way but those who are free and can come I want you to just roam among these I want every one of them to have at least someone touch them in the name of Jesus and declare that Jesus will complete what he is starting in them right now you are chosen you are the goal of the redemptive plan of God You are the instrument that's going to overturn the conditions of the spiritually lost of our world. You are the ones who are on the campus bringing light to darkness. You're the ones that's going to witness that the truth of what we sung is true not only for Gore, Virginia, but for Blacksburg, Virginia, for Huntington, for wherever you are coming from. Worship team, just lead us for a few moments, please. Thank you for tuning in to the Ignite Sessions podcast. To learn more about Virginia Tech Chi Alpha, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it using the hashtag TheIgniteSessions. We'll see you next time.